Good to see you all. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as we always do, we are going to get into God's word. Uh, so I want to thank you for tuning in this Sunday to the exciting conclusion of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Right? Our teaching series that we've been in for a while now uh, called Philippians, To Live is Christ, uh, wraps up today. And, um, you know, back at the beginning of this series, I encouraged you all to read straight through the whole book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to his friends, Christians, a church in a town called Philippi. And so back when we started this series, I encouraged you to read through the whole letter in one sitting and uh, I made note and encouraged you about this because I said, hey, it only takes about 15 minutes or so to read through the whole letter. And so you're wondering, why 13 weeks later are we still studying <laughs> the book of Philippians? Uh, but that's what we do around here, right? We put our finger in the text. We get into God's word. We ask God to teach us through his word as he is so faithful to do. So in the past 13, 12 Sundays and now today, uh, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Ed, and myself have had opportunities to teach God's word from this letter of the, uh, to the Philippians, and we've zoomed in. That's why it takes 13 weeks to do a 15-minute letter, because we zoomed in and took a closer look at pieces of the letter to see what God would have in store for us, to see what we could learn, to see how the good news of Jesus changes us now and moving forward. And so uh, as we conclude then the series in this letter, today we get to zoom back out a bit and, and take just a little bit of a bigger picture look because it's fun to zoom in and it's important to zoom in, and we want to take a closer look, and we want to keep our fingers in the text, and we want to study God's word carefully, but I thought it would be fun, too, to zoom out a bit this morning, and as we conclude the series then, kind of take a, a more broad look at this letter. Uh, so, if you're, if you're new, if you're, this is your first or second time, great Sunday to be here, because you're going to get a little capsule of the letter of the Philippians. Uh, if you're always with us, thanks for always being so faithful and being with us. This also hopefully will be a helpful overview of the letter. And if you're somewhere in between there, hit and miss. We'd love to have you all the time, uh, but maybe today I'll fill in the gaps, okay? So grab your Bibles. If you don't already have them ready to go, open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. As we move around the letter today, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2. Feel free to use the Table of contents at the front of your Bible if you're not sure where the book of Philippians is. Turn, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to start at verse 5. Ready to jump into God's word? All right. Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to take a whirlwind tour through Philippians. I hope you can keep up. Hey, here's where we're starting, chapter 2. Uh, this, the, the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians really centers in many ways around this glorious passage in chapter 2. It's got almost, it's got poem qualities. It's got hymn qualities with majestic, amazing, glorious truths about how God has acted through his son Jesus. And so in many ways, this letter that Paul wrote to his beloved friends in the town of Philippi 
really kind of revolves around this center passage and everything is a spoke outward from it. So look with me at Philippians chapter 2 starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he was willingly emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We can zoom in to this letter and we can take 13 weeks to study it. And we can find many things, many themes, things to learn from our great God. But none of them are greater than this one. That there is one name above every name. That there is one name worthy of our worship. That there is one man, God-man, the Son of God, who is our rescuer. And that's what Philippians is all about, is Jesus. And the good news of Jesus, the gospel. The gospel is the good news that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you and I can have new life in him. Meaningful, rich, full, abundant life now and eternal with him. And so the gospel is the good news of this Jesus, and that's what the Philippians is all about. And we want to always remind ourselves around here that the gospel is good news not just back when you first met Jesus. The gospel has implications for you and I today and moving forward with our lives. The gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, rescues people from sin and death. And it's the gospel, the work of Jesus continuing in us that carries us forward, helping us to follow Jesus every day. With me? Okay, this is important. So grab, now flip in your Bible, if you would, to chapter 3, verse 8. By the way, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. By the way, I'm going to have you turn in your Bible some this morning, and then sometimes there's going to be verses on the screen as we uh, take this little tour of Philippians this morning. So speaking of this gospel, speaking of this good news of Jesus, let's look at chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, this early church leader, Paul, writing this letter, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as what? Rubbish. Rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, all the other stuff in his life, Paul says, I count it as loss. It's good. There's good things in my life. There's lots of things that can take up my time. But I count it all as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. 
in, where'd I go? <laughs> in order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him. And here's, here's the good news of the gospel. Not having a righteousness of my own, not being made right with God on my own that comes from following rules, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. Being made right with God, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Because, friends, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Right? Grace. This undeserved gift of our salvation. That we don't get what we do deserve. And we do get what we don't deserve is grace. Our salvation is a gift from God. Th that we, we receive that gift from God through faith in Jesus, through putting our trust, through surrendering our lives, through realizing we can't do it on our own, through turning to Christ alone. But this, this, uh, this letter has talked about continuing on in Christ, pressing on uh, you know, continuing to follow him. And, and this is not about our measly efforts to do good or to be good. Our salvation is not about what we do, but what Jesus has already done. And adding anything to that, if we, if we in ourselves or if someone else tries to put this on us, if we try to add anything to Jesus, if we try to require anything besides Jesus, to receive our salvation or to, to tell others about salvation, what do we say about that? Rubbish! That's what Paul said about it. If, if someone tries to add, add something, add requirements, if they say, for you to be saved, it's Jesus and, as soon as that and comes, rubbish! Right? To be saved, it's not Jesus and our good behavior. It's not Jesus and look like everybody else in your church family. It's not Jesus and uh, following rules. It's not Jesus and tradition or our preferences or what we think and making everyone else think the same way as we do. Salvation is a gift from God by his grace that we receive through faith alone in Christ alone and anything added to it is rubbish. So, the book of Philippians is all about Jesus and the glorious good news of the gospel. And yet, of course, there's plenty more in this letter that we've learned. Because I think we've also seen a thread of what I'll call gospel progress. That, that as we follow the one name above every name... That as he is the one who is worthy of our worship, that he is the son of God sent to be our rescuer, sent to bring us life. As we follow him, this letter that Paul wrote made it very clear that there is to be gospel progress in our life. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus, transforms us. Yes, when we become a Christian, but still today as we follow Jesus and into the future. So there's lots in Philippians that revolve around showing us how to live for Jesus and how to grow spiritually and how to press on and how to live lives worthy of the gospel. There are, gosp there are implications of the gospel for today. You with me on that? And, and Pastor Ed mentioned a few minutes ago that this fall, 
we're going to continue as we jump into a new sermon series in the fall and we study a new book of the Bible. We're going to be really taking a good look at the gospel. And sometimes we think as Christians, if we've been around for a while, we think the gospel, that's kind of old news, Derek. I already know the gospel. But the reason we want to take a good look at the gospel is because of this, of this truth that the gospel has implications for us now and moving forward. That we don't graduate from the gospel. That we don't follow Jesus because of the gospel and then move on to more important things. So we're going to have a good look this fall at the, at the gospel. It's going to be great. Turn uh, with me, flip to the beginning of the letter, chapter 1, verse 1. And let's see how we see this emphasis on gospel progress from the very beginning of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Look how we see this emphasis on gospel progress from the very beginning of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, that's who's writing, servants of Christ Jesus. Who are they writing to? To all of the saints, which means believers, followers of Christ. To all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are living in a town called Philippi along with their leaders, the overseers, and deacons. And he opens the letter by saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think of grace as of, of God's rescuing grace. We think of God's grace only back when we first surrendered our lives to Jesus. Sometimes we think of, of, of uh, grace as only revolving around our initial salvation when we became a follower of Jesus. But here in the beginning of the letter, Paul says, I'm writing to, who is he writing to? Saints, which are believers in Jesus. And then in verse 2, he says, grace to you. They've already received the grace of salvation. They've already crossed from death to life. They've already gone from darkness to light, and yet they're already followers of Jesus. And yet Paul says, grace to you. Because the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus has continued implications. An author, a pastor wrote this. So grace to you is a request that his friends in Philippi enter into a fuller experience of the grace in their Christian lives. It's Paul requesting a daily grace that will enable them to live in a manner that honors God. It's not just grace past tense when we first met Jesus. It's God saying grace to you. May his grace empower you to live for him. That they would know the all-sufficient grace of God in their lives every day. And as we've been in Philippians, chapter up on the screen now, chapter 1, verse 21 said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, we are reminded that Jesus is to be the center of everything, of every part of our lives. For me to live is Christ. All that I am is Jesus. All that I do is for Jesus. Our lives are to be Christ-centered, Christ-powered, and Christ-exalting. And then we look at verse 27 in chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This letter is all about Jesus, and then it's also about how we follow Jesus and how we continue growing in him and how we don't graduate from the gospel, but we continue to seek out God's will for us and the implications of the gospel in our lives today. 
chapter 3, verse 14 on the screen. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the name above every name. And you, my friends, followers of Jesus, are to make gospel progress. Don't be satisfied. Don't be content just where you are in your relationship with Jesus. You are to make gospel progress. Not sure you have the strength? Feel like your efforts fall short? You're right. Me too. We don't have the strength. We can't do it on our own. I love when we sang uh, All I Have is Christ. I love that line in there. I've, I've highlighted it before. There was a line there we sang, the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Friends, Jesus is the name above every name, and you, as followers of Jesus, are to make gospel progress. And it will take participation and effort and intentionality on your part. But you know what the good news is? You're right, you don't have to do it. You're, you can't do it on your own, but you're not alone. Because as we pursue a growing relationship with God, he is with us. He is strengthening us. He is carrying us. He is empowering us. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this. It's on the screen. That he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this because he has a confident hope. Because he has a confident hope because he knows that our great God works start to finish. That our God finishes what he starts that our God is at work in our lives, that salvation, that rescuing us from sin and death and transforming us to be more and more like Jesus is a process that God affects from beginning to end. He is with you, and he is working, and he is carrying you. And chapter 2, verse 12 told us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a part that we play and intentionality on our part. That verse doesn't say work for your salvation. Your salvation is a gift from God. But it does exhort us to work it out. What does our salvation look like? How do, how do we live it out? How does it transform our relationships? How does it impact our, our workplaces and our peers and our families? Work out your own salvation. But look what follows immediately. For it is God who works in you to will and to work. It is God that gives us both the desire to obey him and the ability to obey him. So Jesus is the name above every name. And friends, you are to see gospel progress in your life. And God will help you as you lean into him. So do I see this kind of gospel progress in my life? And do we see the work of God transforming us? And, and do we see indicators, milestones that show us that God is working and, and, this, and we are seeing gospel progress in our lives? And that's what we're going to try to fly through here in the next few minutes is some highlights from this letter to the Philippians of some indicators of gospel progress in our lives, things that we see as a result of God's work in our lives that we've covered in previous weeks and that we're highlighting today. The first is boldness. 
back toward the beginning of our series. Pastor Aaron preached from the first, in the first chapter, and it included this verse that's on the screen. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. As we follow Jesus, and as, as he brings about gospel progress in our lives, one indicator will be a boldness in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He will help you and strengthen you and empower you to tell the great story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that makes it possible for people around you to experience new life. That boldness. I think another indicator of gospel progress is, is that we imitate. Pastor Ed uh, preached a sermon called Lives That Inspire. And aren't you glad that we have an opportunity to hear occasionally from Pastor Ed and Pastor Aaron and sometimes some of our elders and sometimes guest preachers? Because guess what? God's word speaks to us. It teaches us. And I'm so thankful for others that, that, that are faithful to point us to Jesus by sharing with us from God's word. And so, so Ed preached this sermon and, and, uh, and it included this verse for, on the screen. Brothers, join in imitating me as a follower of Jesus. And keep your eyes on those who walk, who follow Jesus according to the example you have in us. And so who do you imitate? Gospel progress in your life will include looking for people to imitate. Followers of Jesus that you look up to. That, that, that might be older, that might not be older, that might be spiritually more mature, whatever. Who do you look to? Who do you imitate? Whose life following Jesus is helpful to you as you learn how to follow Jesus? As the gospel makes progress in our hearts and lives, we will also see unity within our church family. There's multiple spots in this letter that exhort us to live in unity, to live in harmony with one another, including this verse, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then a couple weeks back, you might if you were here, you might remember this, that Paul inserted into the letter and called out a couple of ladies by name and told them, get along. And so I joked that maybe they needed to put on a get along shirt, right? Get along. Because as we make progress in the gospel, as Jesus transforms our hearts and lives, we will find increased unity and harmony living together as brothers and sisters in Jesus. And I think perhaps there are times when we need to find a bigger shirt that our whole church family can climb in, right, together. Because that's the work that God wants to do, is he wants to put us all in a get-along shirt. As the gospel makes progress in our lives, we will experience joy. Philippians is abounding in, in joy, mentions of joy, mentions of rejoicing. And we've covered many times in recent weeks uh, verses like these on the screen. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Is that as easy as it sounds? No, but it's still, still a word from God to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul, writing from where? Prison. Has reason for his circumstances to get him down. 
has reasons for his circumstances to affect his attitude, writes, rejoice always. So we've talked many times in recent weeks that joy is, is above and beyond our circumstances. No matter what we're going through, ups and downs, trials, heartache, suffering, we can have joy. Why? Because we understand our great God, because we know who our great God is and what he's done. Happiness may depend on circumstances, but joy comes from God. And, and a commentator wrote this, that a high view of God produces overflowing joy. When we have an understanding, a view, an impression of God that is great and majestic and glorious and loving and powerful and with us and on and on, then, we are, then there's overflowing joy that we can experience no matter what we're going through in life. A high view of God produces overflowing joy, but a low view of God yields little joy. When our eyes are up, I believe God will give you joy in the midst. When our eyes are on ourselves, when we don't trust our great God, it'll be more difficult to find joy. Another marker of our gospel progress that we came across in this letter, prayer, chapter 4, verse 6 on the screen, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And we said that it's, lot, it, it's, hard. it's hard not to worry, it's hard not to have to be anxious about things, but we said that the cure for worry, the antidote for anxiety is prayer, is going to our great God and talking with him and casting our cares, our burdens upon him, becoming people of prayer individually throughout your day, your week, coming to, being people of prayer together as a church family. That's gospel progress in our lives. The very next verse says, uh, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds, your hearts, and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think another marker is peace. Another indicator that we are making, that we're making gospel progress, that Jesus is changing us from the inside out, that we are being made new, that we are be give, being given a new heart and a new mind, a new attitude, comes when we find that we experience the peace of God. No matter what we're going through, right? Difficulties, hardship, pain. The peace of God surpasses. It, it's, it's, uh, we, we, we said a few weeks ago, it's almost, it's almost an, ir an ir irrational peace. Because we find ourselves in circumstances where we should be stressed. We should be anxious. We should be afraid. We should be but we find ourselves with an irrational peace. I think if you've had that experience, it's because you are growing and experiencing gospel progress, that Jesus is making you new and giving you his peace. Another one is contentment. This is just from last week. A marker of our gospel progress, of Jesus transforming us, is, is contentment in God. Um, Pastor Aaron's taught us from the word last week, and I got to listen to it. Well, isn't that great? 
I loved it. I wish I could have been here to see it. I had to just listen. And that included chapter 4, verse 12. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. I can be content no matter what the circumstances through him who strengthens me. And listening to Pastor Aaron last week encouraged me greatly, I think, in my life, in my spiritual life, in my following God. I was encouraged as I listened to Pastor Aaron to ask God to help me to be more content in him. No matter what's spinning in the world around me, no matter what my, my plate of responsibilities includes, I want to ask God to help me have gospel progress that involves being content uh, in him no matter what. So I was encouraged by that from Pastor Aaron's sermon. I was also encouraged to buy my own Flexilla garden hose. So, <laughs> so I went and picked one up, and uh, it works awesome. No, I didn't. I didn't, actually. Anybody else buy a Flexilla hose this week? If you don't know what we're talking about, you missed out on the sermon last week. You'll have to go on our website and listen to it. But I'm sure if you're looking for a new garden hose, I'm sure it's just, you know, 800 Flexilla or something. And, and for three easy payments of $29.95, it can be yours. And then the last marker we're going to talk about this morning is the end of the letter here where we haven't covered yet until today. The last marker in our lives of gospel progress is generosity. So turn in your Bible to chapter 4, verse 14, if you would. As we consider this last marker of, of being changed by Jesus is, is generosity. Chapter 4, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you, Paul writes to the Philippians, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into gospel partnership, I'm calling it, it says partnership, I'm calling it gospel partnership. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter, one of many reasons that Paul wrote this letter to his friends, these Christians in a town called Philippi, was to thank them for the financial gift. They had taken a collection and sent it to him to support his ministry and to meet his needs. And so one of the reasons Paul is writing this letter is to thank the Philippians for their generosity. And he writes it in verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And so by talking about sharing, he's talking about, you know, not only have the Philippians given him spiritual support, not only are they praying for him, not only do they, uh, are they learning about Jesus from, from Paul, but they've also come alongside Paul in a very practical way, a very needed way, and that is through financial support. Because as you all know, as you experience life, things aren't free. Travel costs money. Serving Jesus costs money as well. And what Paul was doing was traveling and proclaiming the good news of Jesus everywhere he went and starting new churches and investing in leaders. And the Philippians went, you know what? We want to help. We want to be part of that. And so a, another marker of gospel progress in our hearts and lives is as God grows in you a spirit of generosity with your time and your energy and your hobbies and your resources, and yes, including your wallet. Gospel, as God works in us, uh, we are generous. 
as God has been so generous to us, giving us his son, rescuing us from sin and death, one of the natural responses, not, not legalistic, not having to earn something from God, not having to pay for service. Did you notice that I put the offering this morning before the sermon? I don't want you to pay me for this sermon. I don't want, it's not a tip. It's, it's obeying God's work in your life and his generosity to you. And one of many ways that we respond is in generosity back to him. You with me? And, and what we see in the New Testament about gospel partnership, if we're going to support the work of God's kingdom, if we're going to support the local church, if we're going to send out Christian leaders to proclaim Jesus, what we see in the New Testament about gospel partnership or giving is we see words like generous. Uh, we see words like cheerful. Don't give like, oh, here comes the offering bag again. The New Testament is looking for Cheerful, generous, giving. And then look at verse 16. Paul continues, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So this is another thing that we see throughout the New Testament about giving to support ministry is that it's ongoing, that it's consistent, that there's intentionality. There's been some thought put into it. It's not just on a whim, what do I toss in the offering bag? It's something that God is working in my heart and I'm planning and I'm devoting to him, and I'm regular, and I'm consistent, and I'm intentional, and it's sacrificial. And the word sacrificial means it hurts a little. And, and the Bible talks about giving from our first fruits, which, which means it's what, where we give our money first before it goes to some other things that we would like it to go toward. Those are the things that the New Testament teaches us about giving. And I love this. Um, I'm going to put up on the screen here in a minute 2 Corinthians 8. This is another letter that Paul wrote. This letter is Paul writing to a church in, in a town called Corinth. That's why the letter is called the Corinthians. And in this letter that Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, he uses the Philippians as an example of, of generous giving. How cool is that? He's talking about gospel progress, and he's got, in, encouraging the Corinthians that part of their gospel progress will be as they take a collection and support ministry, and so he's holding up the Philippians and the other churches from Macedonia as, a, as an example of, of honoring God. So look with me at that on the screen. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. This would include uh, the Philippians. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, they begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Did you hear that part? I love that. They begged for the chance to give. They said to Paul, can we help? And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So why does God desire us to give? Uh, it's for our own benefit. It's for our own spiritual growth. Verse 17, now back to your, you got your finger in the text still? Chapter 4, verse 17. Why does God desire us to give? It's for our own good, our spiritual growth. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Paul's saying, not that I 
need the money, not that I seek the collection, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I, I want you to grow. I want you to be blessed as a result of serving God in this way. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received uh, from Epaphroditus, that's the messenger that brought the financial gift from the Philippians. I am well supplied, having received the gift you sent. It was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to, my, to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We, we give not out of guilt or not out of being, being forced to or not to tip Derek on whether the sermon was any good. We, we give because it's, it's, it's a spiritual discipline. It's, it's honoring God, giving back to him uh, out, of, out of love for him. God sees your sacrifice and he is pleased. And he will care for your needs. We know about money. What do we sometimes say about money? You can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you after this earthly life. The only money you'll ever see again, so to speak, the only money that you'll ever benefit from again is the money you give away. In particular, the money you give away to the advancement of the gospel, to seeing the work in the name of Jesus proclaimed near and far. And so as you give to your local church family and as you support missionaries across the world and as you find ways to be gospel partners with the work of Jesus near and far, that's exciting stuff. That's, that's money that, that you will be blessed by in the future. You can't take it with you. But as you give to what God is doing, I believe part of that is, is storing up treasure in heaven, treasure that really matters and it makes a difference. So gospel progress in us, us being transformed, leads to investing in the gospel investing in gospel progress to Dallas and Oregon and, and across our country and across the world. Let me invite you to stand up. And as the band comes back to lead us in uh, worship through music, I want to invite you to stand. And then we're just going to read one verse together here in a minute. Some of you are thinking, Derek tricked us again. He said you could read the whole letter in 15 minutes, but he just took about 40 to talk about it, right? We zoomed in a little, we zoomed out a little, we zoomed in a little. In a second, we're going to read aloud together this verse that's on the screen, and here's my point, is, is whether studying the, book, the letter to the Philippians takes 15 minutes or whether it takes 13 weeks, we study God's word to learn from him and for this purpose. Let's read this aloud. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's read that one more time. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.